What's up, EOS Universe? I'm here with the EOS Encyclopedia himself, Rob Finch, and we've got a lot we're excited to talk with you about today. We're going to discuss the Rex, Referendum, Block One's continued presence at Virginia Tech, and lots of DAP updates. If you like the show, please support us by voting for my sponsor, Cypherglass, using your favorite wallet or block explorer. But before you do that, make sure you smash that like button and leave a comment letting us know what you thought of the show. Welcome back to the longest running EOS podcast, Everything EOS. We're so happy you joined us again this week and a sincere thank you before we jump right into the news on helping us pass a thousand subscribers here yeah. on the new channel. And then again, helping us smash through 1100 subscribers. So looks like we're sitting at 1129. Let's uh, see how many more we can get uh, between now and next week. So if you're not already subscribed, smash that button, hit the little bell and you'll always get the latest EOS breaking news. Uh, we don't want to forget to give love to our listeners, too. We still have a lot of people that just listen. So in that case, if you're on iTunes, five-star review, or better yet, just leave a typed review because we don't have too many new ones. Uh, but I wanted to bring this up again because I love talking about the the partnership we've been seeing being built over time uh, between Block One and Virginia Tech. Now, yeah. if, if you're just um, hearing about this for the first time today, um, Virginia Tech is one of the top engineering schools in the United States. Uh, Dan Larimer is an alumni there, and it's located within a mile of the uh, Block One uh, Blacksburg headquarters. And then May, a $3 million grant was issued from Block One to Virginia Tech uh, for them to develop a blockchain curriculum so that their students, and especially in their engineering and computer science departments, uh, could learn the value of blockchain and basically how to build on one and all about decentralization. Um, and then we saw another speech uh, that Dan gave. Uh, when was that, Rob? Do you, was it November? He gave another one at Virginia Tech? I think so. Yeah, it was sometime in the last couple months. It's been, uh, you know, I never thought I would be jealous of a college student again since I dropped out of college, but I am a little jealous <laughs> of the people at Virginia Tech getting all these uh, free dance speeches. It's it's pretty awesome. Me too. I mean, I, I really appreciate Block One with getting them uh, the videos. Uh, first of all, they record them and then they post them on, on the uh, Block One YouTube channel a week or two later. But what they post on the YouTube is always like 30 or 40 minute videos. And I know Dan probably was there for a lot longer than what they're showing us. Um, maybe it's just boring stuff, but what's happened recently, and we talked about this last week, is they act Block One actually um, sponsored a blockchain bootcamp, uh, I think two, yeah. two Saturdays ago at Virginia Tech. So basically it was just like, it sounded like it was a hackathon that, that was all day Saturday and Dan Larimer was there to advise everyone. But what has me excited about this, and we explained a lot more last week about what the event was. But the thing that has me excited is the fact that all of these people at Virginia Tech are excited because yeah. I, I would get excited about this no matter what. But to see all the different engineering departments at Virginia Tech from, from their own individual like department Twitters, like posting stuff about how they enjoyed the hackathon. And then the reason we brought this up to kick off the show is because right before we start, started recording, uh, one, of, one of our... Uh, Regular audience members, Mark, what's his name? Mark Woods? Mark Woods, yeah. Mark Woods, shout out to Mark Woods. He's always, yeah. I, I, I think he lives in Blacksburg, actually. Um, oh, okay. And I think, um, but he, he's always kind of 
tuning us into the stuff going at Virginia Tech because he's a Hokie as well, an alumni at Virginia Tech. So he, he's just as excited as the students. And that has me excited. Yeah. I mean, if you think, you know, we're, we're all building EOS. We're trying to build this blockchain ecosystem where people could build decentralized apps. And the biggest piece that's kind of missing right now are enough developers to build those apps. One of our developers got that we had in the early as a cipher glass got hired by block one. There's so much demand for blockchain developers right now, and there's really not enough of them. So to see them sort of you know, lighting this fire under the students at, at Virginia Tech saying like, hey, you know, there are all of these career opportunities, not just at Block One, but in so many other crypto companies where you can take this knowledge and, and turn it into a real career, you should become, you know, a blockchain engineer and blockchain developer instead of just a traditional developer, I think is awesome and will really help to build out that ecosystem in the future as we, you know, grow it and, and build more and more dApps. I'm pumped. Uh, the last thing before we move on is um, for this uh, boot camp that they had, uh, they have some public GitHub repos on the EOSIO GitHub page, and I'll put the links in the descriptions, but I don't think these have been like uh, tweeted out or announced officially yet, uh, but it, it's a really good uh, starter package if you're someone who's just getting started in EOSIO development or you're, you're just looking to uh, maybe teach someone else or just looking uh, to compile a list of good links and tools. Um, so check out the um, description for that. Yeah, um, and speaking of GitHub, we actually got a new update to the Rex GitHub as well. It looks like Block One published an update that really didn't change a ton with the existing Rex code, the release candidate that they released a couple weeks ago. Um, but they did make some, you know, improvements that should hopefully set the initial price of Rex of the the you know CPU and net on on EOS when it goes live. It should make it cheaper to start. So they've adjusted the algorithm a little bit. They added in some additional developer calls that make things a little bit easier, make it easier to kind of interact with the whole system. Um, so work is still being done on Rex. It is, you know, the second release candidate. This could be implemented now, but of course, you know, we're still waiting on that referendum piece. And I think we have an, an update there as well on, on how all that's going. So Rex doesn't actually need a referendum to be implemented, but to get the full functionality in all of the revenue streams, including from the name auction and from the uh, RAM trading fees, uh, the Rex for all referenda uh, needs to pass first. Um, do you think that's the reason uh, that the Rex hasn't been implemented yet is just uh, they're, they're waiting for Rex for all? Or, or what, what do you think is happening there since the code... Even though this is an update to the code, it's been ready for a couple weeks now. And then a week or two ago, shout out to EOS Authority, they actually um, released their code review on it and it passed all of their tests. Yeah, I do. And, and shout out to EOS Authority for doing that. I know, you know, they're doing kind of the the work that doesn't get a lot of credit right now. And we appreciate them them testing Rex and making sure it does work. Obviously, they may have to go back and, and test a little bit more with these minor updates, but hopefully it's not too much of a change. Uh, over the previous version. But I definitely think that block producers are waiting for Rex for all to pass or at least get more voting support so that when they implement Rex, they can include that piece as well. Because I think, you know, the community's perspective is, oh, Rex is another way for me to earn money, not just from CPU leasing fees, but also from, you know, the name bidding and RAM trading fees as well. So I think we, we kind of want to introduce it as this complete package. Um, but if you look at Rex for all right now, even though only about 21 or 22 million EOS are voted towards it. 99% of the EOS voted towards this proposal are voted yes. So, you know, it seems to be a pretty clear indication to me that the community does want this. And I hope that, you know, even if we don't hit the 15% threshold, which I think we're going to talk about here in a little bit, um, I hope that this could still be implemented anyway, because it's a, a feature that the community and the overall ecosystem, I think, really wants and needs. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obvious that the community's spoken. I mean, 99% to one, uh, we'll, we'll get into the voting in a, a little bit here, but let's just walk through some of the other referendas besides Rex for All. Um, 
so the second place referenda as far as the most participation and it has slightly less votes but uh only by a couple hundred thousand is the decaf and that's to remove ecaf from the constitution and if you look at the current state of ecaf anyway with the recent um I, I, I don't know the actual term of the seat that they had but the interim manager there had stepped down and now has his you know kind of relinquished power there but Block producers ultimately at the end of the day are the ones that determine whether or not they're going to implement any of these ECAF orders. And as we've seen recently, pretty much all of the block producers have come out and said, hey, the community has told us that they don't want ECAF, so we're no longer going to implement these orders. So as far as I'm concerned, ECAF is basically dead. And we already have, you know, decaf coffee now where ECAF is gone. <laughs> um, and we don't really have to worry about it anymore. But the more votes we can get to kind of reaffirm that, then I think we can make this official on the chain and really remove that ECAF part out of the original placeholder constitution. So right before referendum went live, uh, Brendan Bloomer came out and got everyone uh, talking about one token, one vote. Now, yeah. look, looking at the top referendum now, it, it dropped significantly down the list. And I think a big reason behind that is because there was no code behind it. So even if it passed, it wouldn't get implemented. But it recently got brought up again. Um, I highly recommend it. I don't even know what the, uh, do you know what that show is called, Rob? I don't have it in the uh, I don't. It was a, a cool news show, though. Uh, it looked like in New York that, that Kevin actually went to. So Kev Kevin Rose, he, he was on uh, a video show. I'll have the link in the description. But uh, the part of the conversation that really stood out was his opinion on why he's hesitant to, to jump all in on the one token, one vote. And it made a lot of sense to me. And I want to get your opinion on it, too. Basically, the... Right now in the current EOS ecosystem, there's a lot of collaboration between block producers. You know, uh, a good example of this is with something like the referendum tool that was EOS Canada and other BPs all working towards the same goal of actually finishing, you know, the code for referendum. And then you had other BPs jump in to build front ends for it. You know, uh, EOS Cafe Block and um, who's the other HK EOS from Blocks.io. You had people from EOS Titan and Aloha EOS all building interfaces for this referendum tool. And why they're sort of all able to collaborate right now, and this is a point that Kevin Rose from EOS New York was making that I think is a really great point and has me reconsidering the one token, one vote as well, is that because each individual user has 30 votes, you can collaborate with other BPs because you know, hey, if referendum is successful, we get this tool out, the users can vote for all of us. They can vote for EOS Canada, they can vote for Cypherglass, they can vote for Aloha, all the people that were sort of involved in that. Um, but beyond that, if you take away those 30 votes and you make it one token, one vote per person, it really becomes more of a competitive landscape rather than a collaborative one. And that I think could be a little dangerous when you have these major chain initiatives that have only been successful because so many block producers were working together. If suddenly you take out the ability for them all to benefit from a voting perspective when they work on something that is successful together and you make it that only one of them can benefit, when you know they work on something, there's probably going to be a whole lot less collaboration. And it is a pretty dangerous thing since most of the main tools and new functionality of EOS right now, since it's launched, have come from collaboration of the block producers. So, you know, hearing Kevin say this before I watched that interview, I was very much like, hey, one token, one vote is the way to go. You know, it has a lot of pros in sort of removing power from cartels and making it harder to, to take over the network. But at the same time, I hadn't considered what Kevin was bringing up, which is this collaborative nature that could potentially go away if we implement one token, one vote. So at this point, I'm kind of undecided on which way I want to go. You know, I see pros to both, but I also see cons to both. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see how that all shakes out. Yeah, the, the lack of collaboration would be bad enough. So let's just assume that projects like Shintai couldn't get done because it requires collaboration. So that would be bad enough. Um, but the other side effect would be, 
I, I feel like all of, not all of, but a lot of the block producers would start attacking each other because they're all competing. And right. we don't really know yet how voter behavior is going to change with one token, one vote. We, we could think and hope that token holders are going to vote for an array of different block producers rather than just three, four, five. But at the same time, that's one of the reasons for uh, one token, one vote is because most voters don't even know anywhere close to 30 BPs. So right now, they're probably, if they're voting for 30, they're voting for a handful that they know, and then a bunch of people that they don't know. So I'm still undecided, but I just wanted to give a shout out to EOS New York and whoever's show that was. Your link will be in the description. I'm sorry. Um, but I guess we can <laughs> continue talking about EOS New York because they brought up uh, some really interesting points on referendum as well. Yeah, so they put out an article titled Rethinking EOS Referendum Game Theory, Why 15% Token Participation is Irrelevant. And, you know, as we've seen with things like the Rex for All proposal, even though 99% of the, say, 22 million tokens that are voted towards the proposal are voted yes, there's still sort of this 15% threshold of 150 million tokens that needs to be hit before the block producers are saying they're going to implement it. And EOS New York put out a really convincing article on why 15% is kind of irrelevant, and, and we should look more um, to, to just the amount of people approving versus denying. And even went into some interesting details that we'll kind of unpack here about how when you have a system that requires 15% voting threshold, even if some percentage of that is a no vote, you, if you want to vote no against something, are actually incentivized to not vote on it at all. And that may appear like voter apathy when in reality, you just don't want to contribute more votes to the proposal to get it over that threshold, even though it would be a no vote. So it's interesting how that kind of affects the game theory here. And uh, maybe we can unpack this overall article a little bit. I, I think first we got to backtrack um, and just remind everyone the rules of passing a referenda yeah. based on how it was proposed. So to pass a referenda, someone has to propose it. It's supposed to include all of the code required to implement it. That way, if it is approved, it can be implemented by the block producers. But the minimum requirements are you have to have 15% of the total tokens voting either yes or no. So one or the other, they just have to be voting. And at least 55% of those 15% have to be casting a yes vote compared to a no vote. Um, and they both have to be sustained for 30 consecutive days. So it, it, you have to have that 15% threshold and the yes threshold for 30 consecutive days before it officially passes. And from what we're seeing with referendums so far, uh, voter participation is still very low, but it, it seems like they're signaling very well with the 99% votes yes. But the problem with, with all of this and these rules are if let's hypothetically say that it stayed 99% yes, but we're up to like 12% and we only had 3% to go. Um, if you were against um, Rex for all or um, the decaf, you're not going to vote at all. So there's like no point to voting for no. So it throws off the entire system. And then the other thing is that there's a decent chance that we're not going to hit 15% anytime soon, but there's a lot of proposals that, that need to be implemented, hopefully sometime early this year. Um, so do we really want to, as a blockchain, wait and wait and wait? Like how long are we gonna wait on a referendum if it doesn't pass? I know it's only been a month, 
But what if we're six months down the road and we still haven't passed a single referendum? And I think um, getting this message out early from the U.S. New York is great because I'm glad it's coming out now and not three, four, five, six months down the line if we don't get the voter participation that we want. And hopefully we do get that voter participation, but nothing's guaranteed here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I definitely agree with it at the higher end. Say like you had, you know, that example, you only needed 3% more to get over it. I think where it could get dangerous, where I'm kind of on the fence is, you know, how low, you know, how few votes could you get to still pass a referendum? For example, you know, even if we're not setting a threshold, if say only 5 million tokens are voted to something, which many whales have, you know, 5 million or more tokens and could sort of sway the decision one way or the other, would that be enough to pass referendum? So, even though I, I, I tend to agree that you know 15% may be too high, I think we need to be careful about lowering the threshold too low um, or, or removing it entirely to the point where then you know referendum could be open to manipulation. So the, it's so interesting to watch governance evolve where we are trying to decentralize control from the block producers out to the token holders and use referendum as kind of a signal for the block producers on what to do. Um, and I don't think that signal is going to be perfect the first time we release it. Like the, the very first version of referendum, we can't expect to be the same version of referendum that we have six months from now or a year from now or 10 years from now. I think it's inevitable that that system will go through changes. It's just a matter of making sure that the changes we make to the referendum system are the correct changes that won't negatively impact the chain. But overall, for the most part, I agree with this article that, you know, 15% is, is clearly too high based on the voter participation now. Maybe there's some other way we could do it. I, I saw ideas thrown around for, you know, 50% of the, the tokens right now, or 49% of all EOS tokens are staked right now. But then if you look at the amount voting, it's about 20 to 25%. So maybe you could make the threshold 15% of the actual amount of tokens that are being voted. Um, and that would be obviously a much, much smaller number than 150 million. It would look something like, you know, 35 or 37 million, which we are actually very close to hitting on some of these proposals. So maybe that's the better way to start it for now. And then you could remove the limit completely in the future if you needed to. But uh, overall, I agree. I'm glad this is being talked about now and not, you know, three months later when a proposal still hasn't passed. I, I think you're right about the the uh, part of contention is always going to be like, what is the right threshold? If 15% if is a, a little high, then what do we start considering a little low? Because right now with 2% voter participation, I, I think we could all agree it's a little bit low. Um, but what I like about um, putting this out early is if we run into a situation where we need like Rex for all to pass, um, there's a voter tool that I saw recently where it has all of the um, referendum proposals and then it shows uh, all of the block producers uh, what they signal to vote for, yes or no, from their block producer account. So what that signal does is, let, let's use the Rex for all for an example. So Rex for all is at um, 2% uh, approval. Let's say it creeps up to five, six, seven, and uh, then people start um, debating whether or not this is a, enough to pass the threshold. So using this tool, and I wish, I wish I had it in front of me, but as a token holder, as a voter, you could look and, and all, you could look and see what, what um, which proposals the block producers all support. So if they say yes, they support Rex for all, and they will implement it now then even if it's not above the referendum, you could vote for them for that reason. Whereas you could also do the opposite and maybe there's some that you usually voted for. You vote, you've voted for them since mainnet launch, but they're signaling no for some reason for something that you really want to pass on referendum, 
but it, it's probably not going to meet that threshold. And, and you're hoping that there's like, um, if, if there's debate amongst the block producers, then we're going to, as token holders in a community, we're going to vote to get the 15 block producers in that are going to do and implement whatever we think as token holders is correct. And because of how DPoS works, uh, it's liquid democracy. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I think it's an interesting uh, new element to think about. Yeah, I think it's a, a an interesting alternative. My only concern is that if we can't get people to vote for the actual referendum itself, I worry that we can't v get people to vote for the BPs that will implement the referendum without yeah. getting enough referendum votes. So it's kind of a, a catch-22 in a lot of ways. Um, but it will be interesting to see what happens. And I think that signaling will help because... You know, ultimately, at the end of the day, block producers like ourselves at Cypherglass are community members, and we want this chain to succeed, you know, just as much as any other community member. So when it comes to something like Rex for All, even without a change in the block producer rankings, I think we would probably be able to pass with a 15 out of 21 vote, you know, getting that in there. So I hope to see more use of that tool as a signaling approach to say, you know, hey, let's go ahead and do this thing. Clearly, the people that have voted have, you know, made their case. That proposal has been up for a month now, like... I think it's a good time to implement it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. In your opinion, how long and around what voter percentage would you say it's time to implement Rex for All? Like how long should we I wait? Don't know if, I think if you give people a solid 30 days, which I think we're coming up on now to vote on a proposal where it's been, you know, voiced throughout the community on places like Everything EOS and on the Cypherglass channel and on Twitter and, and so many other places. I think if you haven't voted within that first 30 day period, you're probably not going to vote. Um, so I think 30 days is probably a good time limit to leave something up, to really discuss it, to get feedback. And then assuming there is still this, this super majority 99% community support of voted tokens, you know, go ahead and implement it. Um, and then, you know, if, if you say, hey, we're going to implement this thing in one week, uh, you may see a bunch of no votes come in. And it'll be interesting to mm -hmm. see kind of how that all, all plays out. But you also may see more yes votes come in to sort of, you know, coerce the block producers to go ahead and implement it. So it, it's fascinating to see blockchain governance like this. When, when it comes to voting with tokens has really never been done on a scale like this. Obviously, you've had other platforms that, that vote, but when it comes to referendum and making massive changes and, and upgrades and whole you know protocol improvements like Rex to the overall network, this stuff really hasn't happened before. So we're in uncharted territory and we, we don't really know what's going to happen, but it's been fascinating to see how it's all played out so far. It's been a wild ride, man. This is something we'll probably be telling our grandkids about, about oh, how, sure. how crazy it was. It's, it's like the founding fathers of, of your, your, your government. It's like yeah. you're, you're trying to build this governance model that, that's never existed before. And you're, you're picking pieces from all these different elements and putting them together. And some of them just don't fit together. But it, it's interesting uh, to see the community come together to, to make a decision as a, a group. So obviously with all this, there's one core theme, which is that making decisions as a collective, as a group where many, many different parties are involved, all of the members of the system, whether they're block producers or voters or just token holders, all of these people sort of have a say in the system. But unfortunately we saw recently <laughs> and, and saw the huge community uh. blowback from it, um, of where a centralized decision of an upcoming blockchain network really kind of, in my opinion, hurt that network overall and certainly hurt the community's perception of it. So this was Warbly, as I'm sure you guys have heard, um, coming out e even just a week after confirming that you would have until May to claim your Warbly tokens, basically came out and canceled the whole share drop, said, hey, if you haven't claimed yet with no notice, you now can't get your tokens, we're giving them to a partner instead. So obviously, as you can imagine, um, the entire community was very, very upset. There were Telegram battles and Twitter battles of which I was definitely a part of, um, sort of criticizing Warbly and, and Dominic there, who it seemed kind of made that top-down decision for the entire network. So 
I, I, I could agree with a lot of things. I, I think it was handled very poorly, but I also, Warbly never claimed to be decentralized. They're, they're centralized from the start and their goal is to become more decent, more decentralized. Um, and I, if they really did, so I don't know if it's in their blog post or on Twitter or in, somewhere in Telegram where I read it, but they're trying to kind of explain their decision here. And they, the way they described it was they had basically a deal on the table that uh, was a major partnership. And the only way it could get signed and get done uh, was if they knew the fixed supply of their token. So that basically means they'd have to cut off their share drop because they're minting or, or giving away new tokens. And at the end of the share drop, uh, they're going to burn all of the unclaimed tokens. So um, what Warbly said here was that they, there were other competitors for the same contract or deal with this business, um, and they really needed to get it done. And they, they made this decision. And I don't think they made it lightly. So they had to have known that they were going to get this major blowback from the community. Because like Rob said, on January 27th, they made a blog post. Uh, basically stated uh, the share drop you have until I think March 1st to claim. So I think they might have moved it up a little bit because I think it was originally May. I'm not sure of all their dates. Um, but then they also made a promise to another situation with Warbly. Um, so, so to backtrack and explain... Um, Another thing that they, they kind of pivoted on last minute was um, Warbly is supposed to be the financial district of EOS IO. And they're um, KYCing, know your customer, uh, validating IDs of every um, Warbly account holder. Um, so to claim your airdrop tokens from EOS to Warbly, they're a one-to-one -one airdrop, you have to go through a KYC process. Um, but there were limitations within it where if you held your EOS across multiple accounts, which most of us do, then you could only claim your tokens on one of them. And that's a big deal because what if you claimed your tokens on an account that has 5% of your tokens, or maybe you have it spread out evenly 33% across three, I, I don't know. But imagine being that person who you're waiting for a fix. Warbly um, said, they said, we're working on a solution to this multiple account claim and on January 27th, they said, we'll let, we're, we're going to have it for you, basically. One week later, February 4th, they came out and said, um, you have like two days to finish your KYC process if you're already in process. If you're not in process, too late, you can't really claim anything. And basically, they didn't give enough notice to even start the claiming process so that you can complete it within even a small time frame. I feel like oh, yeah. my biggest complaint here was that they gave no grace time. Um, cutting it off on short notice is not a big deal to me at all because they, they never claimed to be completely decentralized. And because they, they if I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that this deal might be a good deal. I, ho I hope it is. I really hope it is. Uh, because if it's not, they're going to look really bad here. But if they had to close it early, close it early. That makes sense to me from a business standpoint, even if you get blowback. But you have to give even 48 hours, 72 hours, one week, say the share drop ends in a week. You're going to see a bunch of people claiming it, and then you're not going to get this community outrage that we have. But um, Rob, didn't you say that you got the email about it after the, the claim period ended that they gave you? 
Yeah, so if you signed up on their email list, they basically said, hey, you know, we, it, it kind of devolved over time, but they basically said, hey, we give you three hours notice, which is a joke within itself because people are, are out of their house, away from their keys. Maybe they don't have their passport. They have to go get it out of a safe deposit box or whatever. Three hours is not enough notice as it is. But when you went back and looked at the time that they actually sent out the warning email, I got it like 35 minutes after the three-hour deadline to submit your KYC had closed. So the whole thing very intentionally seemed they were trying to keep the claimed float as small as possible. And if you look at the actual number of claimed accounts on, on Warbly, it's very, very low. So it doesn't seem like they've been very successful with the community anyway, as it is. Only about 3% of all accounts have been claimed, about 30 million tokens out of the billion. Um, but the most telling thing to me, and I don't want to spend too much time on this because it's it seems kind of irrelevant now. They're doing their own private chain thing like so many people have tried to do uh, in the past. But the most telling thing Dominic said, who's the CEO of Warbly, he said he wishes they didn't do the share drop at all. He wishes they didn't give tokens to anyone within the EOS community. And I think that was very telling um, and kind of tied in with a point that Crypto Iwad, uh, Ramon from uh, Investing with a, dim a Difference made, is that they're not a community chain. They are ultimately a private blockchain like uh, an IBM Hyperledger or something similar to that where they're going to be hosting private businesses on a private blockchain. They don't really care about the community. And I think why everybody was so outraged about this was because this entire time Warbly had kind of put up this face of like, hey, we love the community. We're here for you. We're doing a share drop only to then say that they regretted doing it completely and that they wish the community wasn't involved at all. So it was just kind of disappointing to see the community sort of be, you know, bait and switch like that. Like, hey, we're a community chain. The Financial District of EOS. Oh, just kidding. Actually, we care about this mystery partner that may actually never be announced. We don't know yet until they are announced. Um, we care about them more than the actual community. So I think it was very telling, but ultimately has pushed people back to the EOS mainnet, which I think is a good thing. I think we can all rally around the mainnet as an entity where we're driving all of the value to. So if you want to do a private chain, you know, go ahead, be our guest. But it's clear that the community is not going to support that anymore after, you know, sort of being screwed over by Warbly. I mean, I do think we're going to see, uh, just from listening to Dan Larimer speak, we're going to see tens of thousands of private blockchains. Basically, if, you, if you're running on a database today, he expects you to be running on a blockchain in the future. So the fact that they're, they're private, I think they're just proving this use case. I think the mistake was um, trying to appear as being more community oriented than, than they ended up being at the end of the day. Um, but man, I, I got some good lulls out of this, man. <laughs> So, yeah, there's some good memes. so there were people trash, rude mud crab. Shout out to you, man. Uh, <laughs> he, he started posting all these memes. I, I had to like hold back from it. I was so busy. I couldn't make my own memes and I didn't want to like start mudslinging or anything, but he, he got everyone stirred up. People were saying, uh, crypto Tim was saying how he won't vote for any block producer who's producing on Warbly now. I, I think people need to kind of just let it go at this point. It, it, I, I'm not going to claim my tokens either. I, I missed it. That's fine. Um, I, I want them to succeed. I'm just not going to be a part of it personally, but I, 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 I'm cheering them on. So uh, onward and upward. Absolutely. Let's finish this off with, and I've been saying this for, for a long time now, you can fork a blockchain and a code repo, but you can't fork a community. And that's exactly oh, yeah. what we've seen from every single sister chain to date. It, it can't even come close to, to the, the user adoption so far of the EOS mainnet. And oh, absolutely. All you have to do are look at the claim statistics. Warbly, 3% of accounts claimed. Telos, I think, was about the same. Uh, last I heard was about 5% of all accounts claimed. So the actual interest in these chains, while on social media may have initially seemed larger, when you look down into the actual statistics of who is using these things, even if you give somebody free accounts and free resources and all of these things to build on your chain, 
doesn't mean they're going to build on your chain, especially when there's a public blockchain that is the most used in the world that already has, you know, 800,000 wallets on it. The EOS mainnet, that is clearly where the developers are building, not on a private chain that, you know, one guy or a few guys can come in and, and change on the drop of a hat. So excited to see more support for the EOS mainnet going forward. Absolutely. All right, Rob, it's time to wash off all of this mud. Get ourselves get ourselves clean because there it, it, it's sunny outside. There's too much good stuff happening, and there's a <laughs> lot of DApps doing work. They're getting work Absolutely. done. They're launching on mainnet. Uh, let, oh yeah, uh, mainnet launch. Lumios on the mainnet. You want to uh, talk about Lumios for a bit? Yeah, so Lumios, which is an awesome app, you can download it on the App Store if you have an iPhone. I believe it's on Google Play if you're on Android. You can download the app and use it on mainnet right now. You essentially can answer polls from Lumios or from other users. I've put up a couple polls as well that you can go answer, uh, and you'll earn Loom tokens for answering those polls. So it's a very cool system, really shows the power of kind of abstracting the blockchain part away and just making a new fun app. And then if you want to, okay, you can link your individual EOS account, make sure that all your poll answers are going on chain. Um, and in the future, I imagine they'll probably give you more value for your answers if you put it on chain versus not having it on chain. So very cool app. Excited to see them launch on the EOS mainnet as well. And uh, we have a couple more here. Well, wait, uh, well, you're, you're on the leaderboard, aren't you? Before we get, move oh, yeah. away from Lumios. I, so I, I hit... I got to say, so I won the, the most popular poll of the week, I think it is, where they give you a thousand you know, free loom, which really boosts up your score. That put me in number number four and number three on the overall leaderboard. And then I managed to, at night, I saw a bunch of polls got posted. This was a couple nights ago. And I managed to get number one and was pretty excited about that. Uh, now I have slipped down to number two. The guy kind of saw that I was there, but it's a close race. So check out the leaderboards. Give me a follow on Lumios and uh, I hope to see you there. What about you? You didn't talk about the pool that I wanted to hear about. I, I wanted to hear about the leaderboard, but I want to hear about the Everything Yes pool that you shared with me too. Oh, yeah. So there was a, a cool poll that I actually didn't make. Somebody put it out basically saying, what's your favorite crypto media? And by a landslide, Everything EOS has won. So if you're one of the people out there, thank one of the you. Lumios users, yeah, if you voted for Everything EOS, thank you so much. We appreciate all the support uh, as always. You guys are great. All right, moving along. Your boys at Everipedia, uh, Mabod and the crew, uh, they, yeah. they announced uh, some, some uh, first of all, they announced a partnership with XYO, which is very similar, I think, uh, from what I understand to Platin, which we talked about last week. They just got some ESVC investment. So they're basically um, doing blockchain. How do, you, how do you describe this, Rob? Like blockchain in the real world, like in physical? I would say it's, it's basically a way to determine location and in a decentralized manner where you're not relying on one third party to say, you know, this is the, the correct GPS location. You're, you're not relying on Google Maps for it. So very similar to Platin that we talked about, I think, last week's episode. Um, it is another sort of geospatial location network on the blockchain that Everipedia is going to be utilizing in some way. It's, it's unclear how they're going to be utilizing it, but cool again to see them, you know, integrating with another project. Well, X, I, when I, I was still at ICO Alert uh, whenever XY did their ICO and I didn't work with them directly, but I remember that there, there was a lot of hype around that. I, I forget who in the office was, was real big on it, but oh, nice. I, didn't, I didn't have time to really dig in, but I do remember it was a big project and it actually has a, a team with a lot of experience behind it. This isn't just like a first, they might be a first time blockchain company, but I think they have like a geospatial, like major background. Um, but I'm, I didn't uh, have time to, to look at too much before the show. Um, I don't have it in the notes, but didn't Everipedia announce um, something about more, more dApps coming to the platform? Yeah, so this was so interesting. So a couple of days ago, you know, you all may have noticed if you went to CoinMarketCap or checked your blockfolio. That, that pump. 
Yeah, the IQ <laughs> token suddenly was up 111% just like that. It looked like some whale came in and bought like 40 million IQ or some huge amount. Um, so everybody started tweeting about it. You know, hey, what's going on? Even Mabo at Everpedia himself started tweeting about it. Um, and there's really is no new news. You know, they said even at the beginning of this year that they're building four new dApps, a prediction market, a Quora-like uh, platform where you get rewarded in IQ, uh, and a few others where... Basically, they're trying to make IQ the currency of knowledge on the internet, where anywhere that you contribute information or knowledge, whether it's on Everipedia or their future prediction market or a core like marketplace, or even they were tweeting Jack about rewarding people on Twitter, you know, with IQ tokens for, for contributing knowledge. Wherever you contribute knowledge online, you should be rewarded with the IQ token. So that's kind of their grand vision. And we did hear from Abod that two of their dApps should be released soon. Uh, what we know, hopefully, is that that's the prediction market coming in February and another one, which oh, yeah. we're not sure which, uh, coming sometime later this year. So I think it's just more excitement and hype around that, waiting for that prediction market to go live. And maybe that's why, you know, a whale or a few whales came in and, and bought up a lot of did, the tokens. Did they but confirm always it? Always cool to see. I'm sorry. Did, did they confirm it was the prediction market or are you just uh, speculating on that? Just speculating on that. I want to add to that. Whenever I talked to Crystal Rose, like I asked her her predictions for 2019 and she's very close with Everpedia and she wasn't going to answer but Then she said something like, Ooh, we got prediction markets now. And I don't think she was talking ah. about Augur since Augur's not new. Uh, yeah. So I, I think you're right. I and mean, it's not a big there secret. Have been, yeah. And there have been rumblings that the prediction market will be the first that the reason why I mentioned February is I think it might've even been Mabo himself on Twitter had said, you know, prediction market coming February. I don't know if that's still the case. Um, but I'm just kind of going off that that same information. All right, so let, let's talk about those divs and staking. Uh, <laughs> high, higher Vibes just kicked off their staking on February 1st. Do you want to tell everyone about that, Rob? Yeah, so Higher Vibes, if you're not familiar, they're building a decentralized platform for hiring people. So, you know, right now, like we mentioned earlier in the show with the whole Virginia Tech thing, it's very hard to find a blockchain developer. So people are looking at pretty much any platform they can to find them and be incentivized in some way to, you know, link those two people together. So if I know somebody that needs a blockchain job and I know Everipedia is hiring, I can link them together on Higher Vibes and get rewarded in some way. But what was cool is that Higher Vibes actually just recently launched their staking mechanism on the EOS mainnet, where if you hold a HVT tokens, you can lock them up, I believe, for uh, it's either 24-hour unstaking or seven-day. You can check out their website, HigherVibes.io, and, and figure out the specifics there. But you can stake and actually earn back a certain amount of Higher Vibes over time just for staking and locking up those tokens. So obviously, there will be more staking mechanisms in the future where a, a percentage of those reward fees and I think part of the platform profit will go to HVT token holders. But right now, they're just rewarding people similar to how Karma rewards people for staking in that they're giving you more HVT tokens for staking. So pretty cool to see another you know awesome app launching on the EOS mainnet. I, I, like, I, I love the concept of, of these staking rewards early on in a project. Uh, we'll talk about Pixios in a second. But what it does is it, it rewards early adopters for kind of taking tokens out of the liquidity pool uh, because you're locking them up. So if, if I have... I'm a whale and I got 10% of the entire token supply. Um, maybe if I want to keep my tokens liquid because I'm speculating on them, then I'm not going to be able to increase my piece of that pie. My pie will actually get smaller because I'm not participating in the network. I'm just holding tokens, which isn't exactly participating. But if I stake my tokens, usually there's a time lock on them, just like with EOS has a three-day locking period. Uh, I don't know what Higher Vibes is, but um, you have your tokens staked. So you're basically... If you want to increase, um, what would you call it, your market share? If you want to increase your market share, if yeah. I have 10% of token supply today and they're doing this three-month staking uh, period, 
I can earn a little bit of in, uh, interest every day. And base, uh, because not everyone's going to be staking, I'm actually going to have more than 10% of the supply over time. So I'm being rewarded uh, for being an early adopter on the network. It's, it's really cool to, to, to see all of the um, different mechanisms that are being come up with to gamify and uh, like the, the token economics of all the different staking systems. So we talked earlier about how it, it's the, the governance is always changing and, and we don't know what the right way is because this has never been done before. I think it's the same with these staking and dividend uh, paying tokens is coming up with what what is the secret sauce to this? Like, how do we make the perfect uh, token model that rewards the users, rewards the shareholders and rewards the network all, all at the same time? And it's very hard to do, um, but it, it's really cool to see all these teams trying. And one that I'm excited about because I've been playing it way too way more than I'd like to admit, actually. And that's Pixios, the beta of their, <laughs> their paintbrush game, which is similar to Pixios, or it's similar to Pixel Masters if you played that a couple months ago. Uh, but it's a really cool game. Uh, Rob's involved with them uh, through Cypherglass. You want to kind of give your side of it, then I'll tell you about what I've been painting. Yeah, so Pixios itself is a larger art gamification platform. They have things with NFTs and a whole auction house. There are a bunch of different facets of the platform that are coming in the near future. But the first piece, the first major piece, which is their gaming side, uh, just launched their very first game in beta, and it's called Pixios Paint, like you mentioned. Very similar to Pixel Master, you have this giant collaborative canvas where you can go on, you can buy pixels, you can paint with everybody else paint over other people's drawings, which has been interesting to see, you know, the modification of somebody draws an umbrella and somebody else goes and colors it in, or somebody draws a portrait and somebody else adds a mustache. And it's been very cool to kind of see this whole, you know, collaborative canvas evolve. Um, it is still in beta, so they're, they're fixing some little bugs. It, the platform's come a long way, even in only the last few days, just with user feedback and things like that. But it's been a lot of fun. And I think that, you know, I was explaining to the team, I think they've cracked the hardest part of this, which was to build a fun game. That really is the hardest part of anything. Fixing the little UI issues and things like that, most of which they've fixed already, um, is kind of the easy part relative to building a fun game. So I've been having a lot of fun over there using my account rob.vr uh, that I got on EOS name service, which we'll talk about, um, to paint some pixels. And of course, with Pixios as well, uh, there is a staking mechanism where right now you stake your Pixios, you can get Pixios as sort of this initial reward period, but you'll also be getting EOS as a percentage of the platform's rewards as well, similar to Dice. So very cool model. Also just launched on the EOS mainnet. This is kind of our yeah. EOS mainnet let, rundown. Let, let, let me do the disclaimer here because I just got yeah. my my first dividends. Uh, so so like I said, man, I I didn't uh, ever do Dice. So I've I've never earned a dividend on any EOS token because I just didn't want to get in late on any of these gambling dApps, which is my decision. So it was really cool to wake up this morning, open up my, my Pixios, and I, I've been painting on the pixels. So we talked about like the staking and the game theories. So the, the way this paint game works is you could buy a pixel and paint it whatever color you want. It's just like owning a piece of land and it starts at 0.05 EOS on a, on a pixel that's never been painted on. And then if someone wants to paint over that pixel, they have to pay a uh, 35% more than what the previous buyer paid for. So if I bought it for 0 0.05, the next person, I don't know, like 0 0.07 or something. And the previous owner actually gets a portion of the proceeds, the profit of that sale. And then another portion of that sale goes into a big pool. And that pool of EOS being earned through these pixel sales is actually getting distributed evenly amongst everyone who has their Pixios tokens staked. So it's a really cool model and you could earn more Pixios from playing the paint game too, which I, I earned some that way.
but it, it was really cool to uh, wake up this morning and see free EOS in my account. It's uh, I'm finally on the Definitely. bandwagon here. The div, the div bandwagon. Now, now I'm never going to yeah, stop talking awesome. about it. I'm going to be like that that guy <laughs> that like uh, welcome. You're like the hipster yeah, welcome of the, to the uh, 100%. Welcome to the world's future business model. I think more and more businesses, even a small business, you know, in the future, you'll be able to invest in a local pizza shop or a pizza chain and collect dividends on a blockchain, maybe hourly or daily or weekly, whatever the, the case may be for that individual business. So, so cool to see Pixios launching. A huge shout out to Fred and the team. I know uh, they really didn't sleep for like three, four days in a row, and even long before that, um, trying to get this platform ready to, to get the beta out there. And now that it's out, it's been amazing to see so many people painting on it and really making some really cool art. So huge shout out to them. Can't wait to see how that platform develops. We've got one more thing about Pixios, and I, I can't believe we forgot to mention it, is Cypherglass, uh, you led the way on this partnership with, what is it, Thread Threadless, uh, uh, yeah. an online apparel store. So. Uh, you basically facilitated this partnership between uh, Pixios and Threadless. You want to explain what exactly you guys did and what's gonna what we could expect to see in the future? Yeah, so a huge part of our goal at Cypherglass with this DAP program, you know, Pixios is a part of that DAP program, um, where we're going out, we're investing in DAPs, we're helping them with things. Part of that is trying to bring these giant centralized companies that align with the DAPs in some ways into the EOS ecosystem and actually get part of their community to become part of the EOS, or in this case, the Pixios community. So Threadless is an awesome um, sort of online artist shop. They have a massive community of millions and millions of artists around the world that you know design different merch, design different art, and, and sort of sell it on this centralized platform. And uh, my brother Ben has a great relationship with Threadless along with many, many other huge centralized companies that we're talking with to bring into the EOS space. Um, but he had a great relationship with them, uh, is setting up Pixios with an artist shop where if you're making art on Pixios, you'll be able to sell it on Threadless as well. And that's kind of the initial integration there. But beyond that, we're looking at some really cool ways to actually integrate the Pixios token into the overall Threadless ecosystem. And what's so cool about this, the Pixios art community, is that it already brought in a lot of artists, just you know people that knew the Pixios team and knew us. It, it brought in artists that had never touched a blockchain before, and now they're playing a blockchain game every single day in Pixios Paint. But beyond that, Threadless will kind of supercharge that and take it to the next level where you have a community of artists that are already creating, they're already collaborating with each other. And to bring them to a platform like Pixios, where they can maybe earn, earn some tokens doing it, be a part of this community, I think will do wonders for the ecosystem. So this is the first of many partnerships that you'll see over the course of 2019 of big centralized companies moving into the EOS space, uh, thanks to our previous business connections. So you guys have been on fire lately. And pretty much this entire time since you announced as a blog producer. So pro props to you guys. But your, bro your brother, uh, Ben's been on fire. He finally got his uh, own personal Twitter account. Yeah, <laughs> and absolutely. he's on if fire. Like, what's he have? Like... Uh, He's almost up to a thousand followers in like a couple I weeks. I think so. And only these, well, in, I want to say 10 days, he got a thousand followers. Ben, Ben, my brother, for those who don't know, has been in marketing for 20 plus years. He ran a, a huge agency for a while. Over the last couple of years, ran a marketing agency within crypto. So he has, you know, helped raise more than a hundred million dollars for projects. He's done so, so much. Uh, in the marketing space that kind of gives him a deeper understanding of these platforms like Twitter than, than we all have. So if you want to follow him, it's at HODL Brands, H-O-D-L Brands, B-R-A-N-D-S, um. uh, -E <laughs> on Twitter. Pretty cool name. You can sort of see a little bit more into his backstory and uh, everything he's doing to help out the EOS ecosystem. There's like a blockchain running through the Finch family uh, veins. Uh, your, your, brother, yeah, your, your brother, Mike, who I, I worked with at ICO Alert, 
uh, he's he just launched a, a, a block producing node on another network called IOST. Your your brother was doing a blockchain company before Cypherglass. You had a blockchain company before Cypherglass. You guys, yeah, you guys are killing it, and you, you haven't slowed down. So we announced uh, the launch of ES Name Service a couple weeks ago, and last week I asked you an update, and you said it's it's doing really well. You're getting a lot of people buying them. A lot of people are happy about them. I've I've been seeing more names. Uh, for example, like on the leaderboards of Pixios, yeah, I'm seeing exactly. these shortened names. Uh, but you guys uh, just launched a, another suffix that I think is going to be in pretty high demand as well. And you've got a lot more up, up your sleeve. Yeah. So we just launched .ai on EOS name service. So if you head over to eosnameservice.io, you can register a .ai name, whether that's rob.ai or Tesla AI. Somebody just got robot.ai, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, but so many new name combinations with this. You know, you can think there are a lot of words in, in pinyin, which is kind of the... Um, Americanized version of how to pronounce Chinese, a lot of them end in AI as well. So it'll be kind of interesting to see all the different names people register. But, you know, we really are pushing towards giving people tons and tons of options. So while AI just released, there will be many, many more on the way. And we have a lot lined up that we're just kind of waiting to release now as well. So it's been super exciting. And there's a lot more coming even beyond just more names that we'll have to share soon on EOS name service uh, over the coming weeks. So super, super excited about what's in store. Man, I'm pumped. So much good news going on. Like, let, before we close out, let's just run through it. So we got the Virginia Tech partnership with Block One, completely on fire. More and more stuff happening. And Dan Larimer is assisting with the curriculum as part of a $3 million grant to Virginia Tech. Uh, Rex update. Uh, Rex for all is doing really well in the voting. Um, pretty much the community and the block producers are in agreement with, with what EOS New York put out about uh, if we have to, we will pass a referendum if it doesn't hit 15%. So many dApps with new staking coming to the main net, uh, block producers like Cypherglass uh, coming up with new products and services all the time. EOS name service is awesome. I highly recommend it. We have a referral code if you want to support this show specifically. Um, but yeah, I, I'm pumped, Rob. I, I, I can't wait to do this again next week. Do you have anything we, we missed it, uh, today? Um, I think that's it. Thanks for you know sticking with us. I know uh, I was a little under weather this week, so if my excitement wasn't quite there, maybe it was at 95% of the usual 100, uh, that's why. But thanks for sticking with us. Uh, we'll see you next week here on the longest-running EOS podcast. Ooh, Don't forget yeah. to subscribe, leave a review, smash that thumbs-up button. All right, uh, that, that's it for today. So once again, I'm Zach Gall. I'm Rob Finch. And this is Everything EOS. Go EOS! <laughs> <laughs>